We are wrapping up this series today, Christian Atheists, where we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit so we can also produce the fruit of the Spirit. If you are just now coming in on this series, um, you're a little bit behind, but it's okay. Uh, you can catch up with the rest of the series online. Uh, but we've been talking about this idea of a Christian atheist. It's someone who believes in God, but lives like he doesn't exist, which also means that a Christian atheist is someone who goes to church, they claim to be a Christian, but they don't produce or have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit living within their lives. And today we're wrapping up this series with self-control. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games go into strict training. They do not get a crown that will not last. They, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. No, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If you would, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity you've given us to worship you, to listen to your word. And Lord, I pray that in this moment, you would open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us that you would speak through me as you only always do and that you'll always know how. Lord, take over this service and let us worship you fully and wholly by listening to what you have to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, I'll tell you to go ahead and just buckle up. We're gonna dive right in. Normally I have some sort of an illustration uh, in this series. It's kind of gone back and forth, but today we're gonna dive right into our topic, self-control. That's because our culture is so hungry for self-control. We have the desire to control our lives, right? If you've ever had that feeling of, man, I wish that I could just have control over this part of my life, Right? We desire to have this control, but oftentimes we starve ourselves of that very control that we actually desire. A great reflection of lack of self-control can actually be seen in the month of January. So each year, I found this out this week, each year on the second Friday of January, there's an unofficial national holiday called National Quitters Day. I don't know if you've known this or you've probably experienced this before, but the second Friday of January is National Quitters Day. And National Quitters Day comes from this statistical research over the past several years that says most Americans will have quit their New Year's resolution by the second Friday in January. Even though they just said it two weeks earlier, the second Friday in January, most Americans will have quit their New Year's resolution. We're hungry for control over our lives, but we usually give up within two weeks. In 2023, the top five recorded New Year's resolutions included this, improved mental health, improved fitness, to lose weight, improved diet, and improved finances. See, we want control over our physical and financial health, but we can never seem to find it. And maybe if you're a Christian, then you add onto the list, I won't read my Bible in a year, right? Who's been there and failed on National Quitters Day? Me, right? 
I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more than I usually do. National Quitters Day comes up, and we're like, okay, you know, I've kind of missed a couple times that I was supposed to be praying in the morning, supposed to be reading the Bible in the morning, and it's just not happening, right? We also, as Christians, since we know there's such a thing as spiritual health, we want control over our spiritual health, but we can never seem to find it. We always seem to fall short. Welcome to being a human. Welcome to not being Jesus because we are never going to perfect our self-control. We're always gonna have these moments where we feel like we're failing in our spiritual health, we're failing in our finances, we're failing in our physical health. And it's because we can't keep control because we're broken human beings. You know, our spending can get a little out of hand so our financial health suffers. Sometimes we indulge in a little bit too much of the sweets and fried foods and, and we take a few steps backwards in our physical health. Or we miss a day or two of our morning devotions and then our spiritual health begins to fade. And as a result, our life becomes so chaotic, doesn't it? Right? It feels like we've lost control of our lives. And when we feel like we have control, we're waiting for the moment that we lose it again. And that's where I want us to start today is to, to look at our own controlled life and how we don't have that much control, how we're hungry for the self-control. But our journey to self-control begins with self-discipline. And this is what Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I'll read it again for you. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not get a crown that will last, but we do get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached it to others, I, will, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, when Paul is actually writing this, writing this down to send to the church in Corinth, the games were happening in the Roman Colosseum. The Roman Colosseum, they're, they're hosting this large event where athletes would come from all over and they would uh, go and compete in different races and different, uh, different sports and large crowds would come to see who is the fastest, who is the strongest, who is the most athletic, who is the most talented individual or team. And these games would eventually turn into what we know today as the Olympic Games. And so while these Olympic Games, early Olympic Games were happening, Paul is writing this down. And, and it's because he knows that this is a good illustration to use. There's a consistency that has to take place to have control over your life. Just like a runner goes through this strict training, they're, they're conditioning themselves. They have to train in a certain way. And so Paul is pleading with the Christian church, you also have to, to train in a certain way spiritually. You have to train in a certain way to keep your spiritual health in check. I remember going to uh, Chloe's younger brother's high school track meet. Uh, it was this past spring that they were running track and um, he made it to regionals, right? This was at regionals. So we went to the regional meet. And in that meet, uh, there's these two twins that were just crazy fast at running long distance. And I remember sitting there, I was up in the bleachers. It was in Evansville is where they were hosting it. And these two twins, they took off at the pace that I took off. And I was in track running the 400, right? 
not even running long distance, just one lap around the track, they would have beat me, by the way, and they were running two miles. So they, they're running, and, and one of the twins is, is slightly faster than the other, so you can see it's basically just a race between these two twins, and, and they're running around the, the track, and I'm like watching the time every time that they go by, and I'm like, dang, that was fast. Oh my gosh, that was fast. Like they're, they're getting faster. I don't know how they're still like getting the second win, but they're going faster than what they did at the beginning. And by the time they finished two miles, the one who actually won the meet had his two miles at eight minutes and 56 seconds. Now I can barely run a mile in eight minutes and 56 seconds, let alone two. But in case you're wondering, I did some of the math for you. That's less than four and a half minutes per mile for two miles straight. Now for him, for that twin to, to just say one day with the, with the body type of someone who's never run before, say, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna run a four and a half minute mile, probably not gonna happen. Right? He's trained himself up to this point to where he can, as I believe he was a junior in high school, so he still has one more year to prove himself, but as a junior in high school, still running at this pace. Right? He's dedicated a lot of his life to training and running a lot more than what I ever desire to do in, ever in my entire life. Like I was a soccer player and I hated running. You talk to any other soccer player, they're probably going to tell you, I hate running, but I love playing soccer. Right? It seems counterintuitive, but we're running with something, with a purpose. It's not just aimlessly running in a circle. Right? So, um, but, but to run that, and, and I think about marathon runners. I never desire to be a marathon runner. I never desire to run a marathon. One time, uh, my uncle Chad asked me if I would run like a 5K with him, and I said, absolutely not. I will not do that. Right, I will weight lift all day. I'll do push-ups with you as much as you want to. You get me to run? Mm -mm, not happening. I don't like to run. So I, I, I turned that down. I don't think he actually went to it uh, because I didn't go. But if you think about marathon runners, how many of you, I'm just going to ask this. I, I don't expect any hands to go up. Have thought in your mind, I'm going to go run a marathon today. Right? Because you hate running just like me. Right? Or you're like, if I were to run a marathon, I would break. I would die. Like I would physically die if I started running a marathon. Now think about if you had this goal, I'm going to run a marathon before I complete my life here on earth. And you go out tomorrow morning, all of you, I don't know who's actually trained for a marathon or is currently training for a marathon in here. I'm just assuming that no one is. So this is why this illustration is gonna work. So you go tomorrow you're like, I'm going to run a full-fledged marathon. How many of you are going to walk at some point? Right? I'm going to walk at some point. I'm in decent shape, but I'm not in that shape. Right? But, but when you're training and you have this goal in your mind, I'm going to do this. What do you do? You start small, right? Everyone kind of knows this. I, I know I can't run the full marathon, but... Maybe I can try and run a few miles today and then I'll add another mile tomorrow and then, and then the next week I'll add another two miles and then I'll work my way up, 
It's because we know how to train our bodies physically, but spiritually, we look at the four and a half minute mile of our spiritual race. We look at the marathon that our spiritual walk truly is, and we're like, I'm going to go run the marathon. And then when we stop, we feel bad about ourselves. Right? If I go out today at, you know, after church and I'm like, I'm going to go run a marathon down 41A, and just down 41A, you're going to see me running until I reach what, however long a marathon is, right? I don't even know. But or I'm going to keep on running like Forrest Gump, just keep on running. And if, if I stop at any point, I'm not going to feel bad about myself. Why? Because I've never trained to run a marathon. But when, what happens spiritually is that we do this. We're like, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for this amount of time. I'm going to go and do my devotion for this amount of time. And I'm going to start my, every single morning before I even touch my phone. I'm going to get on, or I'm gonna get on the Bible app or I'm going to go and physically hold a Bible and I'm going to read and study it. Or, you know, if it's in the evening, right before I go to bed, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to start this. And then we continue to go through and then Quitter's Day comes and we've stopped and we feel terrible about ourselves. And we're like, well, why can't I just read the Bible? Why can't I just pray for five minutes without thinking about the grocery list? That's not, I'm not even going to the store and I'm already thinking about what groceries I need. Why is it that we do this? And it's because we're not disciplined. If you really desire to obtain and produce self-control in your life, you have to learn to be disciplined. There's something that I, I learned a while back is that motivation is not going to keep you going for very long because eventually the motivation is going to leave. Right? I, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my physical fitness journey Right, uh, Glenn Pruitt showed me a picture of me uh, nine years ago, and I remember what how I felt nine years ago. I felt like the skinny kid who had nothing going for him, and I was constantly told that I was too small, too tiny, too weak. All these things, right? I could list off and talk to you, but this isn't my therapy session, so we're not going to. If you want to have some therapy with me, my office doors are open. But for right now, um, I, I was very self-conscious of myself. And uh, it eventually led me to actually want to work out. And that was my motivation. I didn't like being called small. I didn't like being called skinny, right? Some of you are like, man, I wish that I was called skinny. I hated it. So I was like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to get a bunch of muscle, and then no one's going to pick on me anymore. It's not true, but they pick on you in a different way, by the way. But anyway, so, he, so I'm, I'm, I'm working out, and that was my motivation. Now, whenever I, I got over some body dysmorphia, which is like uh, you still feel bad about yourself, even though you have a lot of muscle or, or you, you're physically in the shape that you uh, set the goal for, like I set a goal for um, what I wanted to look like. And when I reached that, it wasn't good enough, right? After I worked through all those feelings and emotions, I eventually got to the place where I was like, you know, I feel really good about how I look, how I feel. I feel physically fit. I, I look the part. I, I, I feel good about myself. And then suddenly I'm not motivated to work out anymore, right? Part of working out, if you're a guy, you know this, part of working out is so that you get the girl. Well, I got the girl, and, and I don't have to work out anymore because I'm not motivated. I already got her. I want her over. Now she's stuck with me, right, because we're married. And it, it, there's 
a loss of motivation. So for a time, I, I didn't work out because I wasn't motivated to. Well, then I, I started coming up with different ways that I could motivate myself to work out. And so I, I kept motivating myself, and then that motivation would fall, and the motivation would fall, and the motivation would fall. And it was until I started just saying, I'm going to get up and do it. Uh, I don't care if I'm motivated or not. Like, I, I wake up most days, and I'm like, I don't want to work out. And some days I still don't. But it's that discipline that says, if I don't, then I'm, uh, I'm going to suffer later, right? So I'd rather suffer now and be healthy later than to, to be healthy right now and then suffer later, right? So, so I have developed that discipline. And it's because I know I've, I learned how to discipline myself physically, and since I've learned how to physically discipline myself, I've learned how to physically discipline myself spiritually because it's the same type of process. You start small. Smaller than what you think that you should start small at. I remember when I first started working out, I hit a really a, a pride. It, it hurt my pride because I, I started off with five-pound weights. Right? As a 16-year-old boy, that, that's a gut punch to your pride. That you can't even, like, bicep curl five-pound weights ten times for three sets. Right? Gut punch right to my pride. But I had to start small. Because if I would have picked up 50 pounds, nothing would have happened. Right? Clearly, nothing would have happened if I struggled with five pounds. But if I, if I started doing that, then I'm lifting too much and I'm not actually gaining anything. That's what we do spiritually. We, uh, I remember one time I started disciplining myself. I'm like, I'm going to pray for an hour every single day. I did this for a class project. I, I passed the class because I was recognizing my failures in it. And so I told him I completely failed at this project. And he was like, that's the point. So then he gave me an A. It was kind of cool. Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. But I told myself, I'm going to pray for an hour each and every day. And I, what convicted me was the, the passage from the Garden of Gethsemane where, where uh, Jesus says, can't you even pray for just an hour? And I'm like, I can, Lord. I'm going to pray for an hour every single day for the next 30 days. I'm going to build up this habit. I'm going to discipline myself. And about five days in, I stopped praying for an hour. But it's because I, I started with something that was much larger, right? I, I thought to myself, well, of course I can pray for an hour because instead of spending an hour watching TV, I'll just pray for an hour, right? But but to train yourself spiritually, you have to start smaller than what you think you're actually capable of, right? So if you're like, man, I could pray for 15 minutes and be completely focused, then start with one. Start with just one minute. If you're like, I don't even know if I can make it a minute, start with 30 seconds, right? You'll be super humbled and it'll be a gut punch to your spiritual pride, but I'm telling you to discipline yourself and to train yourself, you have to act in this way. Right? If you're like, you know, I, I can read a chapter of the Bible. I, I can read a chapter of the Bible. Start with one verse. Just read one verse, study it, spend five minutes with it, and then leave. Right? You will feel like a failure, but I'm telling you, this is what starts your process in your journey of self-control. Because once you start building on it, you don't just stay with five minutes, then you move it on to 10 minutes, then you move it on to 15, and however long 
you can, and, and you continue to build it up so that you're taking it in bite-sized chunks to where when I think about some of the people that I've looked up to as far as like church history and different pastors who have since passed away, right? I hear stories about um, people like John Wesley who prayed for three hours every single day. He would pray for an hour in the morning, pray for an hour in the afternoon, pray for an hour in the evening. If you were to start that right now, you would quit tomorrow because something would happen in the morning and it would distract you and you'd leave and you'd go somewhere else and you'd be like, well, I'll just make it up for it. I'll pray for two hours in the afternoon instead of an hour, hour. And then you'd get there and maybe you would have two hours, but your mind would be so somewhere else that you wouldn't even be praying anymore. You'd be spending those two hours just in silence talking to yourself. Right, but, but John Wesley and other great preachers that would do that, they, they worked themselves up to that point. And we look at them, we praise them for their spiritual discipline. But if you were to ask them, they'd probably say, I didn't pray enough. Right, and then that, you, you start thinking about your own prayer life and you're like, well, they didn't think that they prayed enough and they prayed for specific hours for three hours every single day and probably more than that, but those are just the set times that they had and they didn't think they prayed enough and I can barely make it five minutes. Richard Foster wrote a book. Um, I love this book and I, I started reading some of it again to prepare for this. But it's called The Celebration of Discipline. Super great book. If you don't have it, I encourage you to go and buy it. Uh, I have a copy. You might be able to borrow it. <laughs> I let people borrow books, but I never get them back. Um, so, and I don't want to keep buying this book because it's a really good book. But he talks about 12 classical disciplines that you can practice. Now, I'm not going to go through all 12. I'll, I'll list them off for you. But as far as talking about certain disciplines, I only want to keep it to a few but he splits them up, these 12, into, four, or into three sections. There's the inward disciplines, which are disciplines that are just for your spiritual walk, and it just involves you. It's meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. The outward disciplines are, are ways that you discipline yourself in outward ways. You're interacting with other people, so there's simplicity, or the lack of um, uh, talking to other people is solitude, right? It's an outward play of what's happening spiritually inside. So there's solitude, there's submission, and then there's service. And then there's the corporate disciplines, which are confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Corporate, or, or cor corporate disciplines are what you do with other people. So this, these are disciplines that are widely practiced in church. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to talk about all of these, but I do want to highlight the ones that I think we all typically start with. The first one's prayer. Richard Foster in the book says, if we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our life. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. We all know that we should pray more, but oftentimes we don't. One, because Satan doesn't want us to. And so the enemy floods our minds so that we are distracted from our discipline. That's why it's so important that you stay disciplined for self-control so that when the enemy tries to distract you, you say, no, this is what I do at this time. It doesn't matter if I feel like it. It doesn't matter if I even want to, right? It sounds weird to say that you don't want to pray, but honestly, if we're all talking honest to each other, we're like, there are times where we don't want to pray. 
right? Even when we don't want to, even when we don't feel like it, even when everything else is telling us not to, it's our discipline that we pray at this time, right? He also says this, real prayer comes from gritting our teeth, not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. And I love how he words that because oftentimes when we do pray, it is like gritting our teeth. We, we struggle to pray. It's because we're like, sometimes we just don't know what to pray. So we grit our teeth and we're like, Lord, I know that I'm supposed to pray and I don't know what to pray. I really don't want to pray. I, I, I don't feel motivated to pray, but I know that I'm supposed to in this situation. And so Lord, I just lift up all of the concerns that are in the world right now. I pray that you give them healing and peace and whatever else, you know, all the situations and I'm not gonna care about any of the situations because you, you know all of them anyways. You know, everyone that's in the hospital, obviously we want healing for them. You know, everyone that's struggling with mental illness, obviously we want them to be healed from that too. You know, you know about my finances. We, we want our finances to be back on track. And I, I'll never forget, um, someone told me one time, that they said, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we would like because he gave us a brain to fix them. And what he meant by that is we often pray for ways that we can get out of our temptations or ways that we can get out of financial struggles. And God answers simply back, I gave you a brain and I gave you a brain that can be disciplined. And so if you would just discipline yourself, then you wouldn't fall into that temptation anymore. If you just disciplined yourself and your finances and you actually stuck to your budget, then you wouldn't be in this financial mess right? Sometimes we, we pray to God as a cop-out and not as a loving resource. Grit our teeth and say, God, you know, you know what I'm struggling with. And, and God, you know how my finances have just been messed up. Lord, just, just send someone to send us money so that we can get out of this mess. And what a loving relationship with God would say, hey, I haven't been disciplined. I've been careless with my spending. I've been careless in the way that I presented myself. I've been careless in my influence, that, uh, in the way that I've responded to temptation. And I just wanna let you know that I haven't been disciplined. I haven't been doing my part. But Lord, I just pray that you give me the grace to continue to forgive. Right, God is not our cop out of, out of situations that we got ourselves into. He's loving enough to do it, but he also gave us a brain to actually be disciplined to carry these things out. He also says this, Richard Foster also says, habitual and continual prayer, walking and talking with God will cause you to grow closer to him. How many of you, if you're being honest, you don't have to raise your hands or anything, but you've thought to yourself, I wish that I was closer to God. If you've ever thought that, prayer is the key. If you're not praying, you're not gonna get closer to him. It's like if I stop talking to Chloe, I'm not gonna get any closer to her. Right? I might know some things about her, but I'm not gonna know what's changed in her life if I stop talking, right? <laughs> the biggest problem in marriage is communication. And if our marriage problems stem from communication, then our problem with God also stems from our communication. That's why prayer is so important. But the next thing that's so important is study because study is how we also hear from God. 
<laughs> it, it's so simple, but it's so true and it's so convicting. If we truly believe that this is the word of God, right? Not this particular Bible like you, you have the words of God. If we believe that this is the inspired word of God, that God spoke to people for generations of people to write this thing, write these things down so that we 2000 years ago from the 2000 years after the last page was written, right? After all of this was written, we're like, this is God's word, right? This is what we preach. This is God's word. God inspired this word and it's for us to study. If this is truly God's word, then why don't we read it? I often hear as a pastor, and I hear other people, other pastors talk about how, how their congregation will come to them and counseling, they'll come to them on the streets and they'll say, man, I just wish that I could hear from God. And, and us as pre- preachers, like we fall into the same trap. We're like, it's right here. We have the words of God. We have the words of God and we, we just refuse to read it. Richard Foster in the same book, Celebration of Discipline, says, in intellectual honesty, we should be willing to study and explore the spiritual life with all the rigor and determination we would with any field of research. I remember hearing that in college and thinking, man, I'm, I'm studying for this test more than I'm actually studying God's word. I'm doing research papers for another subject because I have to. It's one of my electives and I'm doing more work into making that known and to making that paper good than I am to actually study God's word. Right? If we believe that the God of the universe inspired people to write this down, then why, why do we struggle to read it? Right? This is the question that we all ask ourselves. Why do we struggle to read this? It's because we're broken, but we're also not disciplined. We don't have self-control. And so our lack of self-control gives into our desires to put down the Bible and turn on the TV, to put down the Bible and start scrolling on our phones, to put down the Bible and just work instead. This is the word of God. And if you truly believe that, you should be willing to be disciplined to actually read it. Right? I'm, I'm speaking to myself too. I know some of you are like, you're stepping on my toes, preacher. I'm stepping on my own toes. So welcome to the club. Last one I want to talk about, and I'm trying to make this quick because I'm talking a little bit long, is worship. A.W. Tozer said this, if you cannot worship the Lord in the midst of your responsibilities on Monday, it's not very likely that you were worshiping on Sunday. Anyone else just get that gut punch? If you cannot worship the Lord in the midst of your responsibilities on Monday, it's not likely that you are worshiping on Sunday. We struggle with worship because we're so used to just singing songs. We struggle with worship because we're so used to just listening to the preacher preach and not actually hearing what he says. We struggle with worship because we've limited it to just Sunday morning. And so Monday through Saturday, or even Sunday afternoon, we struggle to actually discipline ourselves to worship. Yes, worship together it is part of our corporate worship as, as we come together as the body of Christ, Christians coming together in the same building, in the same place, 
but your own personal worship should be so much greater than what you find in here. Because you have six days to worship God by yourself and you have one day to worship with us as a church, as a church family. No, it should be amazing in church. The, the worship should be amazing. And oftentimes you find in churches that it's not. That we're singing the same songs with the same tune for the, the same amount of time. And it's because we're so used to the words. We're so used to the songs that we don't even know what it says anymore. That's how much we've memorized some of these hymns. We don't even know what it says anymore. We don't have to focus on the meaning behind it. We don't have to focus on what part of scripture these hymns come from because we're so used to the sound that even if Charlotte Higginson were to come up here and play a little tune of some hymn, I bet half of you, if not more than half of you, would be like, I know that hymn. And you don't even need the words on the screen or the, the hymn books because you, you just know it. Not because it's touched you deeply, but because it's, it's affected your mind in the way of memorization. But I wonder what would happen if we actually opened up our, our hymnals or looked up on the screen and actually focused on the words that were being spoken, the words that were being sung. I wonder if it would start affecting us deeply, if our worship would grow because we're actually focusing on, on the scripture and, and diving deep and saying, God, like I know that I know what we're about to sing at the end of this is I surrender all. I know that song. I've sung that song my entire life. But Lord, what does it mean to surrender all? And as we're singing, we, we start thinking, you know, there are things in my life that I'm not surrendering all of it, right? What I should be singing is I surrender some. I surrender some. Kind of to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender some. Right? But we sing I surrender all like we're actually giving it all, but we don't. That's not worship. That's singing a song. Leon Morris, I love this quote, and it's stuck with me all week long. Worship that costs us nothing is worth precisely what it costs. How many of you, it costs you something to be in church today? It costs you something to sing songs. It costs you something to to come here and to worship God freely and openly. Did it cost you anything to be here with your hands in your pocket? Looking at the words on the screen, but not singing along? Did it cost you anything to be here today? No, because it's part of your routine. Leon Morris would say it's exactly what it's worth. Nothing. If your worship does not come from deep inside of you, but it only comes from the depth of your mind and not the depth of your heart, then it's not worth anything. Your worship is important and it should cost you something. If you've ever been in here, and I know that worship is such an issue across churches, but I know it's, it's on my heart for this church that we're gonna get you to worship. Some of you, some of you do worship openly and freely. And I, I not, think what you want to about Betty Allen, but she worships openly and freely. She doesn't care what any of you think about her when she's worshiping. She worships openly 
and freely. And I honestly wish that we would take more cues from her and we would worship more like her openly and freely. She's not putting on a show. You might think that she's putting on a show. She's not. I've seen her worship. I watched her worship. She sits there and she stands when she can, but she sits there and she worships God. And she doesn't care what anyone else around her thinks because she's only caring about how much glory she's giving God and how much God is looking down on her and saying, that worship is worth something because it costs her something. In this church, to raise your hand, it costs you something. Let's just be honest, it costs you something. To get up and start dancing around a little bit, it costs you something in this church, right? To sing loud and proud when you can't sing at all, it costs you something in this church. But what if... We, we started worshiping as if it was costing us something, as if it was actually moving something deep inside of us. How different would this church look? I want to close with this before I get too ahead of myself. How different would it be if we just practiced these three disciplines, prayer, study, and worship in this church? that we said, we're gonna actually sit down each and every day of the week and we are going to study God's word. And every time before I go to church, I'm gonna be studying God's word before I even leave my home to come so I can prepare my heart for the worship that I'm about to give God with my family and my fellow believers, right? What if before you even left your home, you prayed that God would do something miraculous in the service? How different, I just wonder how different our church would look if, if every single one of us or even half of us or even a fourth of us before we even showed up to church, we, we sat down before we got in the car, before we got ready and we said, God, I just pray that you would move in the service in such a way that you would draw unbelievers to you, that you would draw unbelievers into this church so that could, they could see how I worship, how they could see how this church worships you fully and holy. And because of that, you would do something miraculous in their life and they would be saved. How different would our church look if we prayed disciplined, if we disciplined our prayer life and every single Sunday we prayed for someone to get saved? Do you think God would answer it? I do. I have faith that God answers prayers. I have the faith that God answers those prayers that come from the depths of our soul. Like, God, we're not worthy of anyone getting saved in this church, but because you are so good, because you are so merciful, because you are so full of love, I pray that you impact someone's life, that their life is radically transformed because they attended Shady Grove General Baptist Church. What if we started disciplining ourselves to pray that every single Sunday? And we studied God's word and we dove deep and we're like, God, I wanna hear from you. And then when we came together, when we gathered together on Sunday morning, we said, I'm not just gonna sing the words because I know them, but because they've affected me deeply in my life. How different would our church look?